Hi, I'm Matt Waller, Dean of the Sam M. Walton College of Business. Welcome to Be Epic, the podcast where we explore excellence, professionalism, innovation, and collegiality, and what those values mean in business, education, and your life today. Today I have with me two of our top faculty in the Walton College of Business, Professor Brian Fugit. He's chair of the Department of Supply Chain Management. And I also have with me Professor Remco Van Hoek, a faculty member in the Department of Supply Chain Management. And uh, Brian uh, has got his PhD at the University of Tennessee. Earlier in his academic career, he had an undergraduate degree in engineering, and he worked as an industrial engineer for Delta Airlines, Toyota Motor Corporation, and John Deere. And he eventually went back and um, got a PhD and has had an extremely successful uh, career as an academic. And we hired him from Colorado State, and it was a good thing that we did. And um, Remco, um, and I've known both of these guys for quite a long time, Remco um, got his PhD and then went, eventually went back into industry and worked for companies like PwC. He was an executive in global procurement. Uh, he was senior vice president of sourcing and procurement for Walt Disney. He's worked for other companies as well. Um, but, but both of these um, individuals, Brian and Remco, are not only successful uh, academics, but they've also been successful in industry and continue to be involved in industry. Uh, Remco, Brian, and I co-authored a book recently with a doctoral student, Marat Devlichin, and it is titled Integrating Blockchain into Supply Chain Management and a Toolkit. The, the subtitle is A Toolkit for Practical Implementation, and it will be out soon. Um, I'm really excited about this book uh, for a number of reasons. One, um, you know, Rimka, Brian, and I all have long histories of practice and academics in supply chain management, but but also we have very sort of complementary backgrounds from an academic perspective, uh, you know, uh, in terms of the topics that we've, we've focused on. But uh, we also have this doctoral student, Murat, who worked with us on this. And again, he has a very different kind of a orientation in terms of his look at supply chain management, his background. So we've got four authors on this book. And again, the title is Integrating Blockchain into Supply Chain Management, a Toolkit for Practical Implementation. So what we've done here is we've used theories from supply chain management and from business in general. Because theories, a lot of times people, when they think of theory, they think, oh, that's not practical. But really, a good theory is very practical because a theory describes, explains, and predicts phenomena. Well, what when would be a better time to be able to predict phenomena than now with all of the disruptions that are going on? Uh, you know, blockchain is a new technology, truly new. And, um, and people are starting to see that 
it's got tremendous application. So we applied our knowledge of theory and practice to come up with a toolkit for practical implementation. So, so today we're going to be talking about elements from our book, and we will be talking about um, also supply chain management in general, because really supply chain management is what's interesting. Blockchain per se might be interesting to a, a computer scientist, but we're interested in business. We're interested in supply chain management. So we're interested in how is blockchain going to affect supply chain management? And um, to that end, I think we should start off talking a little bit about supply chain management. And, and you know, in the introduction to this book, I wrote a little bit about how I became interested in blockchain. And it's really a long story. It started back in the late 80s or early 90s when I was in the doctoral program at Penn State. And I read an article in one of my doctoral seminars from an economics journal. The, the, the professor used an article from economics journal. It was titled something like Information Substitutes for Inventory. And I thought, what? <laughs> it was it was sort of my first taste of this really abstract con these ab abstract concepts that we deal with in academics, and um, it really turned out to be the basis of my career. Um, really, I've always looked at how can information substitute for inventory or for transportation or for stockouts or for whatever it may be. How could we collaborate to get more information? How could we use data and, and forecasting better to get this. But, but basically, I know, um, you know there's different views of what supply chain management is. But logistics, the way I had always learned about it was that logistics is about managing the flow and storage of inventory such that total costs are minimized and customer service targets are achieved. Whereas supply chain management was more about the integration of business processes within a firm, between functions, and across firms. And so, obviously, when I started learning about blockchain, I thought, wow, this will help. Regardless of what your perspective is of supply chain management or logistics, it's real easy to see how this could apply. So, uh, Brian, why don't you talk for a minute just about your perspective of supply chain management logistics? So, I, I think my... Um... I think my perspective of supply chain management is is quite similar to yours in that um, it's about the it's about coordinating the the functions within a firm and across a firm and um, and one of the things I think that we're starting to see um, whether it's in just your traditional managing inventory uh, forecasting sourcing transportation your traditional functions or whether it's uh, in terms of Things like sustainability across the supply chain, or food safety, or security, or managing disasters, is what we're seeing today with with the complexities, um, consumer demands, is the need to really go beyond uh, a buyer and a supplier and looking at that, but to go to a supplier supplier, but really in food safety, for example going all the way to the source, um, to the raw material end of the supply of the supply chain. And 
I think when I look over my history and, and the things I've read of those before me, we, we've done a relatively good job at looking at within the four walls of the, of the firm and with that buyer-supplier relationship. But where we're kind of moving into now and the, and the biggest challenges I see are at both ends of the supply chain, both the consumer end, all the various technologies and, and changes in the way the consumers are changing their demands, but just as important and, and, and perhaps more challenging is at the, the, the far end, the beginning of the supply chain, where the raw materials are, is, is having visibility of that and being able to understand and connect uh, the pieces of information across the supply chain. And so that's, for me, where blockchain became so exciting to me is that you know I'm real I'm, I've, I've been a, someone who's who's pretty skeptical when it comes to the hype of technologies um, and this one has won me over blockchain the more I dug into it I start out as a skeptic but the more I dug into it I think it has real promise to, to actually make a significant change in the way we manage our supply chains that's great well that leads really well into Remco because Remco I know you have a tremendous academic and practical experience in sourcing and procurement. So what's your perspective on supply chain management, logistics, sourcing, procurement, and, and the role of blockchain? Yeah, I think if you look at sourcing and procurement as part of the supply chain, I think a lot of those themes that both of you touched upon play out very, very concretely. So historically, sourcing and procurement has been the upstream part, far removed from the consumer. In fact, the buyer is looking upstream at suppliers with the back, sort of figuratively speaking, to the consumer. Um, the truth of the matter is, if you get sourcing and procurement right, you can directly impact consumer value, not just customer value, but also consumer value. It has to do with if something goes wrong, you shut down the factory so you have nothing to ship. But more importantly, if you really get it right, working closely with suppliers, you can be innovative, you can create new service capabilities, you can do it at lower cost so that your proposition in the market can be more compelling to consumers. So if you get sourcing and procurement right, even though it may be positioned far upstream in the supply chain, it has a direct connection to consumer, uh, consumer value. And it's not surprising from that perspective that a lot of the use cases around blockchain very much have to do with how can we improve visibility and line of sight into what happens before us and before those that are before us in the supply chain, if you like. So if you look at use cases around international shipping, around food safety or product integrity or all of those things, they're facing upstream and are, they are enhancing our capability to see things earlier, to be more proactive in anticipating things rather than be responsive. And one of the ultimate consequences, tying back to your inventory point, is as a result, we're able to hold less speculative inventory just in case something goes wrong. So it's a tool, it's an enabler, but it's an exciting tool and it's an exciting enabler to accelerate our journey towards the promise of supply chain management uh, and to help us make practical progress against a theoretical promise, um, if you like. You know, being in this region we're in with the largest retailer, the largest company on earth, um, Walmart, and the more than 1,500 supplier teams that are here, and they're not just sales teams, they're cross-functional teams. 
And then, of course, we have one of the most innovative um, logistics service providers, um, J.B. Hunt Transport, Inc., the largest protein producer in the world, Tyson, um, enormous LTL carriers, FedEx Freight and um, ArcBest. But, you know, this region has had a history of sharing information, of utilizing information to make the supply chain more effective. We really do. It seems to be in our DNA. I know, you know, when I moved here back in 1994, I was just amazed that Walmart was sharing, people always talk about them sharing point of sale data, but they were sharing, yeah, they were sharing daily point of sales data by SKU, by store, but they also were sharing inventory data on hand, on order, a forecast, you know, all different types of information with their suppliers. And, and back then, when I first moved here, again, as I mentioned, one of the things that intrigued me about what was going on here was, of course, my area of interest was looking at how information can substitute for costs and, and uh, poor performance, et cetera, et cetera. So seeing what was going on here was intriguing to me. And I remember, again, I moved here in 94, and I, I started really talking a lot to the supplier teams that were moving into town. When I moved here, there were about 15 to 30 teams here. Most of them weren't cross-functional yet. They were just sales teams. And the largest team at the time was uh, Procter & Gamble. They had about 30 people on their team. But they were putting some of the best and brightest on these teams because no other retailer was providing this kind of information. Hmm. And we were fortunate in that we were able to start placing our students on those teams. You know, some of these companies had never recruited from us before. And they moved these teams to town here and they needed help. And our supply chain students were going to work there. And, of course, that was over 20 years ago. And now... They're leaders in, in industry because of that uh, 20-some years later. It's been fun to watch. But from my perspective, I was really intrigued. And I thought, you remember, at this time, a few years after I, I came here, the Internet boom started. And I remember by 1997, I was talking with some team leaders here in town of some big teams, supplier teams, consumer products companies. And we were speculating that by the year 2000, all retailers would be sharing this data. And the reason we thought that was that we thought, you know, the Internet's going to make this easy. And everyone's seen the benefit Walmart's getting from it. Walmart wasn't just getting benefit because they were using the inventory to reduce stockouts or to reduce inventory or to make transportation more effective. It was also creating competition amongst the suppliers for innovative ideas because suppliers were using all this data to say, we should introduce this new product. Well, buyer then was hearing well-informed arguments, right, for all kinds of things, from packaging, pricing, promotion, placement, etc., because of this data. So it was creating not just efficiency, but innovation. And I've still to this day been amazed. Here we are in, in 2019, and there still isn't as much sharing going on as there is here. And it's a huge benefit. And now with e-commerce, you know, I think that uh, Walmart's benefiting from that as well. But you see J.B. Hunt doing this as well. They've created 
some technologies, JB Hunt 360, where data, again, it's JB Hunt's become more of an information type of a company than, than a logistics company. Um, and, and we see this. And so what's interesting is, as we've seen, these companies, Walmart, Walmart's been dabbling, doing a lot, not just dabbling, but actually implementing blockchain processes for years. Now Tyson and JB Hunt and some of the suppliers in town are too. And so that's been a benefit to us because we've had a source to, to draw on here uh, for that. And again, I start wondering, are other players going to catch up to what's going on here or not? I don't know. Of course, our information systems department, which collaborates with our supply chain management department, created the Blockchain Center of Excellence. We hired Mary Lassity who came in, she's a blockchain expert. She also has a lot of expertise around robotic, robotic process automation and Zach Steelman. But now others in the college are getting interested in, in blockchain. But we thought, you know, we don't want to just look in Northwest Arkansas. So for our book, we interviewed companies from around the globe. We have tremendous amounts of hours of interview. And on top of that, we did surveys. And some of the results of the surveys were, were quite interesting. Rimko, would you like to say anything about that? Yeah. Um, so just to echo your point about um, the collaboration with, in particular, Walmart. I mean, they are, first of all, they are one of the top innovators in the blockchain field when it comes to supply chain. They are truly leading amongst those that are leading the charge, figuring out how to integrate blockchain into supply chain. And we've been very grateful for their generous support and openness and willing to, you know, do events with us to talk about how they're approaching it and openly sharing some of the lessons learned with their peers in the supply chain, um, you know, for the good of advancing the science and the practice of supply chain, you know, in collaboration with, with us. So it, they've been a fantastic partner and the partnership continues. On the survey, I think we did a couple of a uh, couple of surveys, which also, as to your point, weren't solely done in our region, but it were actually collected. Data was collected around the world, and it really revealed a pattern of great excitement in the executive suite about the theoretical potential of blockchain. So there's a clear indication that most executives are turning around and asking their teams, "What are we doing about blockchain? Because there might be something here," uh, and that's positive. Because, you know, a lot of questions are being asked and a lot of consideration is being given. Obviously, there's the risk of this driving a little bit of a hype. Uh, and I think it's fair to say that there is a certain amount of hype around blockchain. And where our book fits in is that we're trying to get practical. So, all right, there's hype, there's interest. What's real and how can we begin to figure out what can become real? How can we turn this into action? And our data shows that that is specifically where companies need the greatest amount of help today. So yes, there is great interest. There's a recognition that there may be something there. Uh, and many companies are beginning to develop use cases for how they might integrate blockchain into supply chain. Uh, a growing number also is doing pilots and we cover many different use cases and pilots in, in the book. What very few companies have today is an articulated roadmap, uh, an articulated you know, a dedicated team, a programmatic approach, and real sort of hard knowledge around how are we going to turn from an exciting use case and an interesting pilot to something that we can use throughout the supply chain. 
And I think that's where companies need the greatest amount of help uh, and where uh, the greatest opportunity is for our book to help make a little bit of progress. So in addition to writing the book, we've hosted events. In fact, we did one recently for uh, uh, alums of, of the Walton College. Uh, and we had to relocate the session three times because we overbooked. We were originally <laughs> hoping to do 15 people around a table to just compare notes. And we ended up stopping registration within two weeks when we were at 100 people because we wanted it to still be interactive. So if there is a, if there's any you know case in point to be had about there's interest, there's interest. And what was fascinating in the discussion was to, to, to see that people were asking lots of questions. What really is the business case? Like, how are we really going to implement it? And how are we going to scale it? So now I'm getting to your point about, is everybody going to do this? Um, that's the scaling question, right? What's cool about blockchain is it's easy to get started. Unlike other technologies that we've had in the supply chain, it is easy to get started. It doesn't take a lot of time. It doesn't take a lot of investment. It's fairly inexpensive. It can be done pretty quickly. That's different from saying, hey, should we do something with an ERP or, hey, should we roll out RFID? So that's different about blockchain, and that's exciting. What we haven't fully figured out is, okay, so if we have a pilot that works, it doesn't mean we have a supply chain-wide you know, application. And that's where we have a lot of work to, that's where we have a lot of work to do. Uh, and we'll see, and it will go into, are we all going to develop our different, you know, applications? Well, then how are we going to have them talk to each other? It's interesting to, to back to the, you know, is everybody going to adopt this? And, and it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. And, you know, one perspective is niche type of supply chains potentially can jump on this faster. And, and one example of that is a couple of years ago, uh, met with, uh, an individual, Cody Hopkins, who um, runs a, a company, a cooperative called Grassroots uh, Farmers Cooperative, and they uh, they raise premium non-GMO uh, chickens and turkeys and cattle and pigs um, that they sell through a cooperative and through the internet to restaurants, et cetera, et cetera. And when we met with Cody a couple of years ago, at the time, they were the first company that we were aware of, at least, that we could find that had implemented blockchain end to end. So from the farm all the way down to the consumer. And it's based out of here here in Arkansas. And now, back to my earlier point about a niche company, they have a relatively small, simple supply chain uh, relative to the ones we've been talking about, Walmart, Maersk, et cetera. But they were able to implement that, and it provided that visibility. It provided, you know, the company values are about transparency, transparency and pricing, um, but also making sure that it came from a certain farm, non-GMO, et cetera, et cetera, that consumers care about. And so um, he actually, you know, he sent us some chicken, and you could scan with your QR code uh, the label, and it tracked, and you could see the blockchain, every step of the supply chain. And so it's possible that that that's a that's a path that that this goes on um you know while the the larger big thousands of supply uh supplier supply chains you know kind of kind of take a little bit longer to implement this when i think about logistics you know managing the flow of and storage of inventory 
such that total costs are minimized and customer service targets are achieved. One problem has always been that a lot of times we really don't know how the flow is working. You know, we really don't know what the flow is. And, you know, if you're not measuring something and you don't know what it is, you can't manage it. So if you look at the definition of logistics, the management, you know, of the flow and storage. Well, to manage something, you've got to really understand it. You've got to know when things arrive, when they when they're put away, when they depart. Um, you know, the flow is so critical. The flow determines the performance of the of the supply chain to a large degree. And information is the key to that. So the blockchain, you know, a lot of information in the blockchain could be created through databases. Some of the information that, that we're getting. However, the immutable nature of blockchain is so important because, you know, one thing that um, it's not that you can't change things. So, for example, if in a blockchain you included a forecast, people sometimes will say, well, it's there forever. You can't change it. It is there forever, but you can change it. Yeah. And that's a good thing. Yeah. Because one problem that has always occurred in the supply chain is right. that people change things and there's no record of what originally existed with blockchain, yeah. the record is there. Mm -hmm. So I think I think just that is going to give us better management. I think the other thing, the point about what is it more than a database is because of its distributed nature, there's also the component of speed. So in particular, in situations where speed has uh, is at a premium, blockchain can be a step forward. Right. So I can check transactions along the supply chain, you know, going one at a time sequentially and going all the way up in the supply chain. But if I'm tracking it for the purpose of something went missing or I'm not sure that I'm actually receiving what I should be receiving or I received something that is broken or wrong or has a quality problem. Going through those steps takes time. If instead I use a blockchain where I can nearly instantly track all the see all the transactions, no matter where I'm positioned in the supply chain, I can do that a lot faster. So the very commonly used example is that of the lettuce care, right? One farmer makes a mistake and there's a trace of salmonella in the lettuce supply chain. And what do we do? We shut down the entire supply chain. We take all the product off the shelf. Think of the economic waste of that. And we shut down the supply chain for a couple of days, a couple of weeks, until we find the source and we fix the problem. Then we have to start the supply chain back up. And it takes a lo little bit longer and finally the shelves are getting replenished. By the time the shelves are replenished, consumers are still fearful. That was a problem. Is it safe to buy it yet or not? If instead, when I find a trace of salmonella, I can trace that individual product back to the farm that it came from in seconds, not days or weeks, and I can dress it immediately at the source, I do not have to go through that whole economic waste to create the consumer fear, mess up the entire supply chain. So that's an example of speed of information holds a huge premium, not just for the supply chain participants, but also for the consumer, right? And so now it gets to, what am I doing with this visibility? 
right? Because if I use blockchain to create better visibility into existing supply chain processes, if I do that only for the purpose of visibility, one might say, is that good enough? Because if I have visibility into a broken process, I see more of a broken process, right? Or if I have better visibility into bad data, what I'm seeing is more bad data. If instead I use that visibility to figure out how can I improve those processes so that problems that arise will not reoccur or that we can find fixes to those problems, now I'm leveraging it, that capability to make the supply chain better. And preferably I do that across parties in the supply chain so that I work with my upstream and my downstream partners to collaboratively unleash the power of that visibility to make the process flow better. So again, it's not the solution, it's a path to a solution. And I think that ties us back to the whole use case, you know, why, why blockchain? And because there is a degree of solution looking for a problem going on. There are a lot of use cases that the companies that we work with in, in the process are saying like, well, those could be resolved with existing technology. Why do we need something new for that? Right. So there is a degree of established good filters of do we really need blockchain for this? And are we mindful of running towards new technology? Should we at all? And the final nuance is that whereas some of the other technologies we use commonly in the supply chain, such as ERP, um, kind of assume a switch into main dominant technology that I use. What's different and unique about blockchain, it does not have to imply throw everything else out of the window and start all over. And now blockchain is the only thing we do. In fact, we've seen a lot of pilots where data from RFID, from EDI or from barcodes is pulled into the blockchain application to make it work better. So it can be a complement rather than an alternative. It can be, let's make what we have function better rather than throw it all out of the window and install it all over again. So a couple of nuances. Brimko, you know, it's interesting, and, and Matt, both of you kind of hit on this idea of, of, and we keep talking about visibility, and this idea, and how do we, how do we make it better? You know, how do we take what we have and not just speed to understanding where the problem happened and remove the problem, but how do we make things better? And, you know, if, if, if you look at the great companies historically, and, and lots of research has shown this, that uh, one of the, you know, one of the foundations is that they're great at learning and, and just continuously improving. And they also found that, you know, the, the starting point of that is to be able to see problems when they occur, right when they occur, and because if, if you can't see it, if you don't see the problems immediately, then you can't address it. You can't get better. And this, the blockchain promises, you know, uh, the potential of being able to have that visibility to see the problems. Then when you see the problems, what do you do? You can go in and you can, you can uh, not just remove the problem again. You can test. You can experiment with how do we, how do we make it better, improve the process, and potentially come up with innovations, you know, have ideas that you haven't seen before because you saw this nuance immediately, you can address it immediately and learn from it. And, and it provides, you know, as a, as a, uh, you know, an old industrial engineer, you know, it, it provides that starting point to any problem solving 
or any improvement process of what is the current state? What's the current state of our supply chain? If you look at most organizations, again, they can't map out their suppliers. At best, they can see their first tier suppliers. They can have guesses of their second tier suppliers. But beyond that, they, they, they don't see what's happening. And, and so I think that's one of the exciting things about blockchain is, is it's not just making us more efficient. Um, it's helping us get better at getting better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Along these same lines, one sort of weak link here in blockchain is getting the information into the system. In other words, when a transaction occurs or when a product arrives, it needs to be entered into the system somehow, into the blockchain. And sometimes people use this phenomena as a reason to discount blockchain. But it's a really interesting. Um, the opposite is probably true because there's a trend occurring right now that is one of the most transformative and disruptive trends in almost all industries, and that is sensors. If you look at the variety of sensors that are being created today, they're enormous. There are so many sensors being created. And, you know, the cost of sensors continues to decrease. Um, You know, here in the Walton College, 15, 16 years ago, we used to do a lot of work on RFID. And we did it for many years. In fact, uh, I remember back in, I think, 2010, um, I did a study with um, some colleagues of mine here uh, and Walmart and some other industry organizations to look at the potential of applying RFID in the apparel supply chain. And so we went through the whole supply chain and we, we actually created a white paper about this. And I, you know, in hindsight now, you know, eight years, nine years later, I realized we were taking a tool and applying it to a problem. And I think blockchain is not like that. Blockchain is very, it's a framework. You know, who, in some cases, you know, RFID is good. But in some cases, RFID doesn't work very well. If you, if you have products like bottled water, RFID is terrible because water is polar and it messes up the read rates. If you have bottles of oil, that's fine because oil is nonpolar and it, it doesn't affect the read rates. But, um, you know, there's all kinds of things that mess up. But, but now we're, we're realizing, well, it's not about RFID. It's not about visual sensors. No, it's about sound. It's about weight. It's about pressure. It's about, or, you know, you could use RFID to measure some of these things, placement, for example. But, but what seems to be happening is that you have this proliferation of new types of sensors. There's an amazing number of new patents on sensors that are coming out. And as we know from a research perspective, if you want to really understand something, a research phenomenon, we use triangulation. Triangulation is powerful for understanding phenomena. And the same thing is true with information about where things are 
how many there are, what condition they're in, et cetera, et cetera, how long they stay there. So, so now we're going to have so many different types of sensors that, and this is happening currently, actually, right? I mean, you, you notice it when you, when you move around and people are tracking you or when you talk about a particular product and then you get an ad in, in your social media. I mean, sensors are out there in a big way, but they're going to proliferate, obviously, because they're becoming cheaper. I know um, I've been involved with uh, plug-and-play periodically, which is an, it's an accelerator. It's kind of like a innovation platform for startups, but it includes an accelerator piece and, and venture capital and other things. It's out in Sunnyvale. Huge facility, but they one of the things they have that's unique is, unlike most accelerators, they have verticals. They've got, you know, a retail vertical, a food and beverage vertical, a healthcare vertical, a supply chain vertical, et cetera, et cetera. But they've got a whole supply chain vertical. And I've gone out a few times and participated as uh, uh, an advisor for some of these startups. And the first time I went out there, again, in the supply chain vertical, I met with probably 20 different companies. Over half of them had to do with sensors of some type. And they were so innovative. I mean, I saw a company that had sensors that communicated with one another via Bluetooth and Wi-Fi and the cellular system. Mm -hmm. This ability already, right? People are coming up with new types of sensors specifically for supply chain applications that can be corroborated with informational transactions that are occurring online or through email or through the internet. And that is going to make for information that is pretty irrefutable. Mm -hmm. the, the other aspect to the comparison with RFID is that, you know, if you go back to the hype that there is surrounding blockchain today, it's kind of like RFID 15 years ago. 15 years ago, you know, we would have sat here and said, oh, you know, RFID, you know, people are saying it's going to solve world hunger overnight and we're going to have replenishment into our fridge like tomorrow and it's going to solve all of our supply chain problems. Some of the hype around the theoretical potential of blockchain um, driven by the consultants and the vendors mirrors the hype we had about RFID 15 years ago. We're still trying to figure out you know, where RFID is the right, you know, solution for the right problem and how to best deploy it in different operating environments. I mean, there's been a ton of progress in apparel, actually, having been with Nike. It's, it's you know, actually, it turned out to be a solution that actually could help towards some problems in that industry, and, it's, and it continues to progress. So it wasn't overnight. 15 years in, we're still working on it. And I think that's part of where our approach has been Okay, let's demystify a little bit. Let's let's sort of dig into what is it really and how can we evaluate? If I'm an executive that has heard there's something exciting around blockchain, what are you doing in your supply chain? Because some of the best companies in the world are getting more and more excited about what blockchain can help them do and the progress that they're making. And there's more and more examples out there. If you're an executive and wondering, well, I how am I going to get in on some of that action, right? 
that's where we're trying to be helpful because there are a set of screens you can use to evaluate is this a good use case is this a mindful consideration of a new technology do i need a new technology and if i do how can i deploy it how can i get started you know how can i think big but start small um, how can i beyond that stop to learn and how can i scale beyond an experiment if it works experimentally it doesn't mean that it's throughout the supply chain yet. So how am I going to think through that? I think that's where we're trying to be of some modest assistance to executives to offer lessons learned from those that are a few steps ahead of most and to get practical around how can you get started and what are some of the questions you should ask and how could you structure an approach that's actionable, realistic, that can get you going down the journey of, of innovation and exploration. Um, and all the sessions we've done so far, you know, have triggered new insights and new learnings and new sharing. And we continue to go out with the commitment to there's more we're learning each day. So any company that's interested to take us up on a conversation where we can share what we've learned and, you know, what we've seen so far and explore how that might relate to their supply chain. Always happy to do it. Always happy to do uh, to do a work session on that. Um, it's an exciting space um, and we have a lot more to learn. Um, and we're learning fast. Um, but is there anything in here you'd like to talk about? Enter the learning loop. That chapter was, you know, we, we can't name their name, but it's the, well, it's the, it's the European fast-moving consumer goods company uh, that we worked with um, who said, you know, we started one pilot. It was easy to start. wasn't expensive. It took a few engaged executives. Fortunately, there is a ton of engaged executives these days. So we were able to develop some proof of concept pretty quickly. Um, and when we were able to declare that it works, there's something here. Um, it was, you know, the, the phone didn't stop ringing for, we want to do a pilot also. Try it here. This might be a good use case too. And the insight was... Yes, we should consider doing that, but can we pause to just make sure we capture all the lessons learned from this first pilot before we move on to the next? Because otherwise we run the risk of reinventing the wheel in the next one and actually not making any progress other than doing another pilot. So I think I think that's the insight around the learning model. Do pause, take stock, and benefit from lessons learned before you look at moving into the next thing. Um, and, and racing from one thing to another without making any real progress. Brian, is there any particular part of the book you'd like to talk about? You know, I was going to add to your comment about uh, the sensors. And it's really the idea of, of blockchain and its convergence with all the other innovations and technological advances that we're having and, um, and how they're going to complement each other. The, the more advanced that we get with blockchain, it's going to help the use of sensors. It's going to help the use of, of and the advancement of analytics. Um, you know, one of the, my favorite examples is McDonald's and Tyson. Um, we can talk about all these if they're in the book, I assume, right? So is McDonald's and Tyson, where they, uh, and IBM is helping them do a pilot test on uh, when the meat is packaged, there's an RFID that's put on the cases, a sensor that's put on the cases that that is measuring um, or tracking the data, the temperature data of the of the truck and and the case. And so, if 
um, the temperature drops below a certain level, that is connected to a blockchain. Um, and, and so that's a major improvement in and of itself because used to the shipper could tamper with that, could, could change that information. And so it gets to the, it gets to a McDonald's store and the born on date, if you will, the expiration date is inaccurate. And so, you know, potential food safety issues or, or just freshness. Whereas now with this pilot test that they seem to be having success with, um, when that data is transferred to the, to the, to the cloud, it's, that data is tracked along every step of the supply chain all the way uh, to the distribution center and then to the store. And whenever the temperature drops between certain levels, the, the analytics changes the, the expiration date, you know, moves that earlier, if you will, to where it's going to go out of date sooner. And then what they're testing is uh, sending signals to those who pull uh, product out of the refrigerator, out of the DCs, to be able to pull the ones that are going to go out of date faster. And so it's, it's changing, not only helping uh, the convergence of analytics and, and sensors and blockchain, it's not only helping just efficiencies in the supply chain, but also you know, food safety and, and other areas as well. And so I think we're going to see that convergence, though, they're going to help each other get better um, over time. It's really a good point. You know, one very technical thing that is interesting is, you know, from a inventory management perspective, obviously visibility helps you manage better. But if you think about some of the inputs to inventory management systems and the calculations that are done in the systems, they're going to be able to change. For example, when we calculate, when we try to calculate the optimal amount of safety stock, we always calculate the uncertainty in demand during the lead time, or during the lead time plus the review interval, depending on the kind of system it is. And the way we do it is not accurate. What we typically do, these systems will calculate the standard deviation of the forecast errors and the standard deviation of the lead time and use a convolution. And it ignores correlations between days, demand during days. It ignores correlations between demand and lead time. There's all kinds of nuances that it ignores. We use these shortcut uh, heuristics to try to come up with these, these estimates of what we really want to know is what is the uncertainty in demand over the lead time, over the protection period, the time that we can stock out. But instead, we estimate the, the uncertainty in the forecast error over that protection period. But with blockchain and sensors combined, we won't need to use any of those complicated mathematical equations anymore. That, we're not going to be teaching that anymore because you're going to be able to just look at how much demand was there during the production period and you'll see it and then you can every time it happens you can calculate the standard deviation and the mean it'll be very simple and it'll be way more accurate so the whole supply chain is going to need less inventory I'll leave the curriculum implications with Brian. I was going to say, but, you know, uh, can, <laughs> curriculum just got a lot simpler. Um, I'll, I'll leave that in your capable hands, Brian. But I just maybe one point to build on the reference to hype, right? What gives me great hope is the amount of 
managerial consideration that's going into blockchain and its impact on supply chain management today because that's going to help us move beyond you know consultant and vendor you know infused hype the fact that so many people show up for our work sessions and so many people engage in our research to share their early lessons gives me great hope that we are on a on a positive trajectory towards figuring out where the actionable nuggets are and where there's some progress to be had and i think that's I find it very encouraging, very exciting. It also obviously means that there's a lot more to learn. Back to the start of the conversation, you know, supply chain management, it is a field, it's a science, it's a discipline. It's also a young field and a science and a discipline. So we have so much more to learn and we have so much more to discover. Um, and blockchain is yet another installment in, in that learning journey. So a lot more to come, a lot more to learn, a lot more to achieve. Uh, but what's great is that a lot of companies are asking some really good questions and we hope that our research can help them answer some of those as well as come up with some more questions to uh, figure out how to best integrate blockchain into their supply chain. Uh, I think you're I think you're right in that, you know, we're all supply chain scholars. We, we're in this. We've dedicated our life to it. And we mentioned this earlier, but it's it's one of the most exciting things about this is it's helping supply chains get better. And that's what we're passionate about. It is an enabler. Um, you know, there's estimates that that 75% of the Fortune 500 companies have tested pilot, uh, done pilot tests with blockchain, and um, that alone tells you that, to your point, people are putting time trying to understand this. And you know, even if this is hype, uh, what that's forcing them to do is to look at their supply chains. To be able to figure out if this is going to work, they're going to have to look at their supply chains and do the basic things, the, you know, the blocking and tackling, if you will, that they should have done 10, 20 years ago, uh, uh, you know, updating their databases and, and those kinds of things. And so as a supply chain scholar, um, that's, what's, that's what's fun about this, is watching that advance. That's good. Well, Remco and Brian, it has been a real pleasure writing this book with you two and Marat. And I, I, I want to give a special call out to Stephen Caldwell. He has just done a fantastic job in terms of editing, writing, project management for this book. Uh, he has been invaluable. This would not be complete without him by any means. Uh, the book, Integrating Blockchain into Supply Chain Management, Subtitle, A Toolkit for Practical Implementation, will come out soon. Thank you both for, for joining me. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Be Epic podcast from the Walton College. You can find us on Google, SoundCloud, iTunes, or look for us wherever you find your podcasts. Be sure to subscribe and rate us. You can find current and past episodes by searching Be Epic Podcast, one word, that's B-E-E-P-I-C podcast, and now Be Epic. <laughs>